Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, uh, the REC Chief Executive. Thank you for joining us on this edition. Lots coming up today. Uh, but before we begin, just a few updates from REC Towers for you to uh, uh, keep in touch with everything that's going on. First and foremost, the REC COVID hub is still up and running and being updated on the website at rec.uk.com. That has all the latest from the Chancellor's announcement on the 9th of October of additional economic support for areas of the country affected by the changes that the Prime Minister announced on the 12th of October. As always, the Chancellor announced that at 4pm on a Friday afternoon, so uh, your REC team are working hard on a Friday evening to get it all up on the site for you, and it's there now. But lots of other goodies on the site as well. We've just launched our updated contracts, simplified set of contracts for, for use by REC members, but importantly, updated for the IR35 changes that, that we'll see in April 2021. So they're all there for you now so to get ready in plenty of time for what happens uh, next in that area. In terms of our data, we published the uh, re latest report on jobs on the 9th, a really clear sign that uh, permanent recruitment had begun to pick up in September after several months of the market dropping back, joining temporary recruitment in strong growth. In fact, the permanent numbers were the strongest we've seen for a couple of years. The temporary numbers, of course, have been strong for a little while as, uh, as client businesses have moved towards the temporary market because of the nature of, of their own markets at this time. So that uh, report on jobs really does stack up what we were seeing from the jobs recovery tracker of greater activity in the market. We'll see the latest from the jobs recovery tracker on the 16th of October to see whether that trend is continuing. Really important point now to see uh, how the uh, changed virus picture affects the labour market. My own view is that it is that many businesses are thinking differently about how they handle an uptick in the virus this time, and we're likely to see uh, less of a slowing in the market than than we've seen previously as controls come on. Finally, of course, this is a big time of change for all of us in uh, the recruitment and staffing industry and uh, a huge amount uh, going on as people think about their own business and how to uh, position themselves with clients. A reminder to you that we've got, of course, the uh, the business leadership guides that are drawing on all the great content from uh, the REC conference, uh, REC 2020, and they're available as well on the REC website. Some fantastic uh, guidance there from over 30 top speakers, so do uh, pick up on that. And with that, let's turn to our discussion for today and our guest. I'm delighted to welcome Rona Driggs, uh, the Chief Executive of Empresaria, to, uh, to the podcast. Rona, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Neil. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you. And uh, without making our uh, our listeners too jealous, are you joining us from sunny California? Uh, I am. I am. Yes. And it is uh, 84 degrees Fahrenheit here today. So it is uh, a bit warm. Well, I think the first thing to say is, well, how how's it looking out there now? Obviously, you're uh, in the run up to uh, the uh, the presidential election in a couple of weeks' time. But in terms of the virus picture in the economy in California, what are you? What, how is it feeling out there? You know, uh, we the California market w was hit pretty tough and and went into a pretty strict lockdown for uh, several months. 
we now are just starting to uh, open it up a little bit more. Matter of fact, I think in the last three weeks or so, hair salons have started to open again, restaurants for dining, um, those kinds of things. So we have been pretty, pretty conservative in terms of how we've handled the lockdown, given we we saw a, a significant increase or spike in, in the cases, particularly in the Los Angeles area and, of course, up in the Bay Area and San Francisco. So, um, But things are looking up a bit more. People are starting, the freeways are starting to get busy again. The normal California traffic is resuming. So I think uh, we're, we're on our way, um, hopefully out of our second lockdown, which uh, would be would be nice to stay that way. Well, let's pick up on some of those themes and you talked a little bit about how uh, businesses in California have been affected. Um, thinking about the empresario group across, uh, across the group and you've got a, a family of brands there that I know you're uh, you're working to uh, integrate really effectively at the moment. What's been the empresario experience of the pandemic so far? So, of course, uh, as we would expect, the pandemic has had a significant impact on the recruitment industry. Um, Generally, again, our our industry will feel a downturn more quickly as companies look to stop hiring permanent and, of course, reduce their uh, temporary or contract roles. But on the positive side, I think for for us in particular, it has pushed us to drive more efficiencies in our business and embrace change in a way that will enable us to come out of COVID stronger than we went in. Uh, I say that in particular, we have really focused on evolving our operating model in our key brands to focus on a uh, more more non-traditional, I guess, in the UK, 180 model uh, in our recruitment to specifically so that we are able to scale our temporary mix um, at a far greater pace than we have in the past in a 360 model. And then, of course, we've we've uh, accelerated our investments in technology over this time. And I think what we've really done um, or or thought about as a group is just how how we can um, take advantage of the time, take advantage of the crisis, if you will, and move some things forward that maybe we were hesitant to change because things were going well, or you know, really looked at are are we structured. Uh, correctly so that the you know if there are future situations similar to this hopefully none like this that we are a much more agile group uh, going into something like this or going into a downturn in the market so that's really interesting and I, you know i've talked about this 360 and 180 issue and you know when we've talked about something that's that's of interest to you because it helps you think about how you position the business with with clients and to some people it's a little counterintuitive to think you know the move to 180 is about having specialists Uh, people are a bit more specialists doing specific roles um how does that help you as a business position with clients effectively at a time when you do need to be that a, a bit more adaptable because i think you know more skeptical people might say um specialists are less adaptable why is why is that kind of more team-based approach working for you with empresario clients? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. First of all, our, our clients' needs are much more complex than they were 10 or 15 years ago. There's there's, there's definitely, um, you know, clients are not just looking for a transactional fill. They want a partnership. They want thought leadership. They want 
they want people that are, um, you know, thinking about their business in, in, and making sure that we are aligned to what their business goals and objectives are. And when you look at even prior to COVID, you know, there was a it, talent was tough to come by, uh, was a full-time job, let alone taking care of our clients and making sure that their needs were getting met. And I think the other thing is, you know, our clients have historically just dealt with one person in our in our brands or our businesses, and that was that 360 consultant. And we need to do a much better job of layering in our, our team and to our clients so that if one person leaves, it does not impact our clients and that we have a team of people that are engaged with that client and really truly understanding their needs. I also think sales and delivery are two different things altogether. I mean, when when you look at um, you know what you know what we do as sales consultants, it's part of that is just really understanding the client, and then we need someone who's also understanding the candidate and making sure that there's continuing a continued pipelining of candidates that is happening at all times while the salespeople are focused on developing those client relationships and partnerships. Well, I suppose it also gives you that opportunity to have a, a voice of the partnership and a, and a sort of almost an account manager approach that gives the, the, the client a champion inside the group who isn't in the delivery team and that supports a kind of more strategic discussion. Would that be fair? Oh, for sure. I mean, absolutely, uh, Neil, you're spot on. I think that is uh, is key. And I, I think that we will be better partners as a result of it. And you're right, there there is a champion. There is a, it, there is a bit of a, of course, the salesperson's never going to be completely separate from, from the delivery. But I think that the the two working hand in hand is going to provide the client with a much better experience. And of course, better talent faster, because when you're trying to do both jobs, it's um, it can slow you down in one or the other. What does that mean in terms of kind of empresarios offering to staff in terms of what you're expecting from staff, but also the, the types of staff skills you're looking to develop as we go through this into to whatever the new economy we're looking at is? Well, inevitably, Neil, what we have found, and you can walk into any any of our businesses or brands, and I would say that this would hold true with with any of our competitors as well. And you know the people that you know. You can count the people. Generally speaking, in a room full of twenty people, let's say, you you can count the people on one hand that are really passionate about sales and talking to clients all day long, and that's what they want to do. And then you have the the other people who are really good at delivery, really good at finding those candidates, really good at finding those uh, those difficult and hard to fill um, uh, people for the, our clients' roles. And when you know, I think this is much a much better approach because now we're able to focus on people's strengths and not push people you know we we have one brand in in asia as a matter of fact that loses because they've stayed in this 360 model for such a long time they've lost really good delivery talent to um, in-house recruitment roles at at their clients and that's because they've been pushed to sell and they don't want to sell they want to interact with the clients they want to recruit so i think it's going to open up more doors for our teams to do what they're passionate about doing what they're good at doing does it require you to think about your remuneration model for for staff to 
to make this kind of shift. One assumes that kind of moving away from, I mean, it, it might be unfair to call 360 lone wolf, but that sense of win the business, deliver the business that, you know, a lot of firms in the industry have always uh, relied on uh, and, and have rewarded with how they pay people. Do you, do you have to think a bit more intelligently about how you reward um, teams to make this work? Absolutely. They have to be rewarded uh, fairly equally. And they need to, you know, we, we need to think about ways to continue to incentivize the teams to work together. So the, the compensation models are changing. But again, the, the idea is that, that they will be able to do more volume. So those uh, lone wolves that you mentioned, Neil, are, you know, yes, they might, they might take, you know, they might have to split their commission in some way with a delivery partner, but they should make that up and then some in the volume that they're able to produce. We'll get that, actually. And uh, it's an interesting model because uh, my reflection would be, and I think we talked before, Rona, about um, you know my background's working with uh, large company HR directors before I joined the REC. Um, and I do get a sense that clients are, if anything, a little... Um, a little lost in how they move forward right now in terms of thinking about their people plans and, you know, HR directors and people leads uh, looking at new business plans being developed by the line and trying to work out how the people plan aligns with it. There's definitely kind of an opportunity here for the well-positioned agency to build that kind of thought leadership and advisory relationship that, that potentially the kind of team around the client requires that, is that fair? That is fair, and and as a matter of fact, the the whole idea behind the the sales, you know, the the sales focus or the account management focus is really to bring that thought leadership to our clients and to create those relationships that are not just thinking about the one order they have today, but what about the future and how do we staff them for the future. This will also help us, of course, get more sticky with our clients, create barriers to exit with our clients, and and truly align us as a partner as opposed to a transactional uh, business that we're just taking orders and filling jobs and not providing that thought leadership. So you're spot on. That's that's critical to to our success. And on the flip side of that, the candidate care has become much more a part and should be a greater uh, greater focus in in our industry. And I think having someone who is having to split their time between sales and a, you know candidate recruitment or candidate care is it's tough it's a lot to it's a lot to manage and so how do we get better with our candidate care how do we make sure that we're sending the best people for the job how do we make sure they're staying employed staying engaged and we're supporting them throughout the course of their their assignment or their role with that company and i think that's as critical as um you know training costs us all money including our clients and if you continually have that turnover in your business it, that's tough. So we need people who are just going to be dedicated and really focused on on that candidate engagement piece that's so crucial to our success. I think that's really powerful and it, it resonates with, I think, something that, um, that I see a lot, which is, um, in fact, I spoke at the Recruitment Agency Expo just recently about this, which uh, there's a really, there's a real tripwire for agencies thinking that a client-driven market where clients are changing fast and uh, demand is a bit lower than it has been for a while, but ultimately will bounce back. 
is a can is a market where candidate care matters less. I think for lots of reasons, candidate care matters more because the skill sets people are looking for are different and often in short supply. Mm-hmm. But also increasingly you see, you know, candidate treatment and candidate mm-hmm. treatment and candidate journey metrics being some of the basis on which um, clients are choosing their their partners. Uh, because by by definition, a positive onboarding experience is going to be a great start to a product, productive relationship, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we take that for granted, I think, sometimes because I, I in the industry and, and I think that the, um, you know, the candidates arguably are, are what we sell and, and what we what we put our, our name behind. And I think that that has um, we do have to put much more care and nurturing and, and engagement and make sure that everyone, whether we employ them or not, has a positive experience with us. So, Rona, before I let you go, clearly you know, we started by pointing out that you're in a, in a much less grey and rainy place than I am right now. And um, and clearly you've got a unique international perspective. Empresaria is a, is a big group of brands trading, inter- trading internationally. Uh, you've worked in the US, you know, chief executive of an organisation which is uh, substantial in the UK. What are you seeing across the world in our sector that is really exciting? Um, And are there big differences in terms of the way things are being handled that really stand out to you? Let's start there. I think the diversity of our group has been a real positive for us in navigating COVID. Uh, if you can imagine, you know, it has certainly been up and down in many of our countries and it, since March. And we've been fortunate that while we have some countries that are going into lockdown, others were reopening. So you had that, you know, you, you had a bit of a balance there, right? And, and it wasn't everything shutting all at once. Um, given, you know, given the footprint, you know, that really helped us, uh, you know, balance out any of the negatives that some of the markets were experiencing. Um, we also are fortunate that many of the countries we operate in have had notable successes in, in containing the virus, particularly you look at New Zealand, Vietnam, Germany has really done a nice job, Singapore, Japan, Thailand, those countries have really done, uh, uh, managed this really well, you know, very low death rates, people are back in the offices, people are working, um, you know, people are, you know, the, the, the economies are strong and much stronger in those areas right now. What I see across the group changing a little bit more is, is really just the, the demand probably for RPO services going forward. Companies are really starting to look at how they manage their contingent labor. I think companies that have, you know, our, our clients that have gone into this COVID situation with multiple suppliers behind them. Um, and having to manage and 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 navigate multiple suppliers to get people working safely from home, I think that um, has caused some pause with some of our clients and saying, "Hey, there must be a better way to do this," um, because it gets complicated trying to to orchestrate that across multiple suppliers. So I think there's going to be much more of a move towards consolidation of suppliers 
maybe that MSP RPO model. And we're already seeing some demand in that area, in particular in, in some of our markets in Asia. So I think that that is probably what we're going to expect to see. And then I also think that there are a lot of clients right now, particularly in the U.S. and the U.K., that are really looking at how they can leverage offshore recruitment much greater now going forward, especially given the uncertainty of COVID and not knowing whether or not, you know, business demand is going to go up or down or stay the same and having that flexibility to be able to adapt to that without constantly fighting the cost pressures of of having all of the internal teams that they have. A really interesting insight. And I, I definitely reflect some some things that I hear both here in the UK and from colleagues from the World Employment Confederation, where thinking about businesses seeing this as an opportunity to do some things quickly that they knew they'd have to do over the next four or five years, and definitely looking at you know how much of an internal team do we need to run or do we push that to RPO, and definitely thinking about I mean, sometimes I say MSP 2.0, but I think we're probably on it onto MSP 3.0 now. <laughs> uh, the, the the kind of the next gen of that really deep relationship, which of course is important to the industry in two ways: one, the client MSP relationship, but also that then the supply chain for that MSP. Certainly, those are big trends in the UK, and I'm hearing similar things from from people around the world. I suppose for a business like Empresaria, you've got a, a kind of family of brands, to put it that way. And in many ways, of course, that's a, a great strength because it's about brand specialism. Um, what's the balance for you between those individual brands that stand on their own name and have long-standing relations with uh, clients of the sort we've been discussing, you know, deep, highly trusted, thought leadership led, and the kind of integration advantages that a business like uh, Empresaria can offer in, in the background. When you look at, you know, I have a new term for what I'm calling our businesses within the group, and it's our, our own internal ecosystem, right? But we we are really focused on, yes, we have individual brands and individual markets that are focused on different things. But when you put all of that together and you look at the ecosystem around us, you know, you're, you're able to put together some very creative and innovative solutions for our clients around the, really around the globe. And that's what we're focused on right now in that integration piece, not moving away from our specialties, of course, and still making sure that we're we're focused in our markets on what we're good at doing and what we're good at providing. But but taking that to the next level and really looking at how to leverage the ecosystem to deliver a a more robust solution to our clients. That kind of thinking in in all recruitment businesses is going to be absolutely essential. So, Rona, thank you for joining us today. I think we've we've, we've covered a lot of ground in terms of international uh, changes, client, changing client expectations, and how we as uh, recruiters can change what we do to to meet them. A hugely valuable conversation for me, and I know our listeners will appreciate it too. So, uh, thank you for for taking the time out uh, from the California sunshine to, ha- to have a chat to us. And we hope to see you on an REC stage sometime soon in the UK, because that will mean two things. One, uh, we can get back to a bit of what we all love doing as recruiters and getting together. And two, I think, as this podcast has shown, there's a lot of thinking which uh, you're driving in Empress Aria, which is relevant to all of us in the industry. 
Well, thank you. And thank you for the time, Neil. It was a pleasure as always. And thank you for all the support the REC gives to the industry. Uh, that is our pleasure, of course. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the REC podcast, Talking Recruitment. If you've enjoyed this episode, do uh, check out some of our back catalogues, some recent ones you might enjoy. Episode 39 had Gatico Chief Executive Kevin Freegard on the future of local and international recruitment. And episode 40 looked at a bit of a curveball for smaller agency owners. Uh, if you're thinking about exit, have you considered employee ownership as a as a structure? And that was with the Employee Ownership Association and former REC chair, uh, Neil Smith of Kinetic, who has done exactly that and is an interesting option for uh, smaller agency owners. It's well worth a listen. Do join us again on the REC podcast and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.